0: The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of Satan, 1 John 3 Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We sang Joy to the World, an awesome hymn of Christmas. We've talked about the curse through our study in the book of Galatians that, that we In our fallen world and even us as fallen people, apart from the grace of God, are under the curse, eternal condemnation. But Jesus comes to not only reverse the curse in our own life and move us from being cursed to being saved and and knowing him, but he also comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So this means one day because of not only the first coming of Christ, but the second coming of Christ, there will be no more cancer, no more tears, no more suffering, no more war. This is all bound up in the coming of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest passages I know in the incarnation is found in the prologue of the gospel of John, talking about the first 18 verses of chapter 1. And verse 14, it's, it's a verse on the incarnation, the coming of Christ, the Son of God wrapping human flesh around himself. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Don't miss verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. So Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He came to bring the presence of God to us. He came to reveal who this great God is. So all of these things are bound up in this time of year that we celebrate Christmas. Now, as John read in Isaiah 11, and what I want you to see this morning is that the the coming of Christ... Born of a virgin, born by the Holy, conceived by the Holy Spirit. The coming of Christ and all of His life and ministry was marked by the Holy Spirit of God. And just as the Father sent the Son for us, now the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit to accomplish his will in the world today. So what I'm about to share with you from the book of Galatians has ramifications for everything I just said Christmas is all about. And it has immediate impact for your daily lives. So let me just remind you where we've been in the book of Galatians. Uh, The last time we looked at this book two weeks ago, we covered the first half of chapter five, and we were encouraged to run in our lanes, right? That there is the lane of the gospel, a lane that God calls us to, where we are on the one hand avoiding legalism, which says, I must perform to earn God's forgiveness and grace on the one hand, But also, it saves us from licentiousness, on the other hand, right, that says, because I'm forgiven and because God's grace has reached me, I can do whatever I want to do. And so Paul's third way, the better way, the way of the gospel, is the way of love. And he says, through love, serve one another. Now, the question is, Paul, how on earth do we do that? And what Paul's going to tell us is, running in your lane has everything to do with how you walk. Verse 16 Starts, and it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. And so when when we boil everything down in our lives, people, okay, and this includes you, all right? You will either live your life in self-reliance, self-dependence, your own self-effort, or you will live your life in dependence upon the Spirit of God to work in your life. So the the main encouragement that I want you to receive today as we uh, dive into the book of Galatians is, is this. I want you to see that the only way for us to live for God is by his spirit working in us. The only way to live for God is by his spirit working in us. Read along with me as I read verses 16 through 26 The kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray one more time and ask the Spirit to open our eyes to His Word. Father, thank you so much for your Spirit who is among us, who dwells in us if we are in Christ. And Father, we are utterly dependent on your Spirit even now. We could hear some words over the next moments and really not move away from here change. But Lord, by your spirit, you can show us who you are, who we are, who you desire for us to be, how you you want to use us in the world. And so God, that's our prayer, that you would do that for your glory. We pray through the name of Christ. Amen. All right. The first encouragement I have for you that comes from verses 16 through 21 is to walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We find in verse 16 both a command and a promise. He says, walk by the Spirit. That's the command. This is what we are supposed to do with our lives. God says, if you want to live your life for me, you need to do it this way. You need to walk by the Spirit. But then there's a promise attached. If you do this, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, the Apostle Paul, who started many churches throughout the region of Galatian, was writing this letter back to them, loves to use this term walk to simply describe everyday living, okay? So this describes how we get down and do what we do on a daily basis. And when when we see this walk by the Spirit. In in the original text, okay, the New Testament was written in Greek. The the phrase by the Spirit is actually fronted in the text to place the emphasis on how we walk. So uh, translated literally, it would be by the Spirit walk. This is how we are to live our lives for God. Now, if you are carefully reading along with me, you would know that Paul here, okay, in a very holy sense, rolls a 7-11, okay? Now, I'm not speaking to moral issues here. We could go there, but I'm just saying as for you, a way to remember this, okay? Paul, seven times in 11 verses, speaks of the Spirit of God. So when it comes to the New Testament and our understanding of the Spirit's work in our life, I know of few better passages than this one to help us understand what this should look like. What does life in the Spirit look like? Well, there are four phrases that come up as we worked our way through these verses. Okay, number one, he says, as we've seen, walk by the Spirit. Okay, this this is to get kind of technical. It's a present, active, imperative verb. So it's, it means keep on walking by the Spirit. This is something that we should continuously do in our lives. Every day, every moment of every day, we are to walk by the Spirit. New Testament scholar Y.K. Fong describes walking by the Spirit like this. It says, he says, to walk by the Spirit means to be under the constant, moment-by-moment, direction, control, and guidance of the Spirit of God, okay? So we're, we're moment by moment. We're, we're under the, the direction, the control, the guidance of the Spirit. If you're walking by the Spirit, you are submitting to the Spirit and the will of God at, at each moment of your life. Now, in verse 18, he's going to change the phrase, and he's going to say, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So, so now, it's not active, but it's passive, And what this emphasizes is that it's the spirit that is the primary mover in our lives. He is the one that is leading us. So when we have this picture of the spirit leading our lives, it's not like when you were in elementary school or perhaps transformation station, if they were all to line up and come out here together, you get in line, single file, and you follow the person in front of you. Okay, this is not what it means to be led by the spirit. When Paul is saying, be led by the Spirit, it is more like a locomotive on a train that is the source of our strength, the sustaining force in our life that carries us along and enables us to live our lives for God. Then in verse 25, he says, live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit which teaches us a good theological lesson that the, the way that we have life in God is to be born again by the Spirit of God. The, the, the rebirth is required for us to have a full, abundant life. And so we must live by the Spirit. And then he finishes up in that same verse, and he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That's the fourth phrase. And the NIV translates this um, a little more um, uh, kind of with a a phraseology that helps us get the intention of the the word. It says, keep in step with the spirit. So this is a military term saying that we should fall in line with the direction, guidance, and control of the Holy Spirit. And so to give you a picture of this, I know that we haven't experienced much snow yet here in New England, kind of to our surprise at this point, right? But we are smart enough to know it's coming, it's on its way, right? And they're probably going to get hit with a blizzard or two uh, this winter. And so I don't know about you, but I really love the snow, okay? When moving to Boston, the snow did not frighten me, okay? I was kind of looking forward to it. And when we have a huge snow, you know, we have to clear out a path to, you know, walk on our sidewalk, not get fined by the city, get to our car, all of that. And it it reminds me of when I was a little boy, when we would get snowed out for school, I was really excited about that, not only because I didn't have to go to class, but also because that meant I got to go to basketball practice with my dad. And you see, when he would get ready to get the van, okay, we have this smooth, you've heard me talk about it before, 1989 Aerostar light blue. Okay, we call it old blue when he had driven it for like 11 or 12 years, you know what I'm saying? But, um, but to get to old blue, what my dad would do, me being maybe seven, eight, nine years old, is he would walk in front of me into the, the five or six inches of snow, and then the smart thing for me to do as a little boy was to step into Each of his footprints, right? And this is, again, another picture of of what it's like to live in step with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. So Paul, in every way he possibly can, is exhorting us to live our lives by the Spirit. And why is that so important? It's because there is a promise attached. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So now Paul then in verse 17 is going to help us understand what our lives are like spiritually if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior. And so what does he say in verse 17? He goes on to say, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so there is a diametric opposition between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh refers to our old sinful desires apart from the grace of God that really reigned in our life and characterized our life before we came to know Jesus as our saviour. So these are, these are the desires that are contrary to the will of God. But then the Spirit, now that the Spirit lives in us, the Spirit desires the things of God. And so there is no rivalry in the world, no hostility between any nation that can compare with the, the enmity and opposition that exists between the flesh and the Spirit of God. It's complete hatred. 1 Peter 1. First uh, Peter two verse eleven says, "Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul." So, so when it comes to the Bible, there is no category whatsoever. Please hear this: there is no category for casual Christianity. There's not. We don't, we don't kind of enter into the Christian life. Everything's really cool. Man, my ticket to heaven is punched. I'm kind of on the moving, you know, sidewalk escalator here. Man, God's just taking me to heaven and glory and everything. I mean, there is a war going on for our allegiance and affection at all times. And we have to be prepared to battle against the desires of our old man the flesh. So verse 17 should surely drive us to the cross of Christ. I mean, if you are like me, there are times in your life when you sin against God. There are seasons in your life where it seems like you can't shake a particular sin pattern in your life. And and if the Spirit of God is in you, it's going to drive you crazy. So what are we to do about this struggle Paul gives us the answer, walk by the Spirit. Romans 8.13, a great verse says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do we defeat sin in our life? You can say that a lot of the ways. How do we conquer sin? How do we kill sin? We do so by the Spirit who dwells in us. John Owen, the great Puritan in England in the 17th century, has this great book called The Mortification of Sin, and one of the most helpful sentences in that book simply says this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We must actively, aggressively seek to put sin to death in our lives. The moment that we cease to depend on the leadership, guidance, control of the Spirit in our life is the moment we will step into sin. It's as simple as that. It's a spiritual law of the universe that God has has orchestrated that if we are not actively depending on the Holy Spirit and submitting to his will for our life, then we will step into sin. It's as simple as that. So, Paul then goes on in verse 18 to talk about some of these works of the flesh. He actually uses 15 terms to describe it, and sadly, this is not a comprehensive list. And we certainly don't have time to pick each one of them apart this morning. So, what I want to do is show that there are four categories. I want to read them slowly so you can reflect on them. And my challenge for you is to just kind of take an inventory of your life How am I doing in this area? Do I see this creep up in my life? Is this a pattern for me right now? And allow the Spirit to reveal that to you so that you can put it to death. All right? So, so where does Paul start? Verse 18, he says, uh, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. These things are obviously contrary to the desires of God. Here we go. The first have to do with sexuality or sexual sin. So he says three, provides three terms, sexual immorality, sexual intercourse outside of marriage, okay, this is countercultural, but let me just show you God's perspective on this, that is sin. It's wrong. It's not God's best for you. God is a proponent and a big fan of sex. It's his idea. He wants us to enjoy it, but he wants us to do so in the, the boundaries that he has provided for us. So, sexual morality, impurity. This is any other kind of sexual sin, from pornography to even the way we dress, tempting others by our immodesty, impurity, sensuality. We, I don't have to go on and on about this because you have your eyes open in the culture that we live in. We, we are a very uh, sex, over sexualized culture, and we must give serious attention to this area of temptation in our lives, or it will very much hurt our fellowship with God. It will hold us back from the life that God intends for us. So that's the first category that Paul gives us. Then he goes in with two terms to false religion. Okay, these are, these are setting up ways of relating to God that are not true. They're, they're God's substitutes. He, he says uh, that we, the other works of flesh are, are idolatry and sorcery, seeking ways to relate to God that God has not prescribed. Todd did a great job last week of talking to us about how that we must worship in spirit and in truth. So there is only one God, there is only one way to God, and, and, and we must relate to him in the ways that he's revealed to us, and that's where life is found. So Paul says, if you go outside of those bounds, you have created an idol, a God replacement that will never satisfy you, and that is a work of the flesh. And then the next eight terms get into our interpersonal relationships. These are social vices, four are more attitudes that we carry. The next four are the results of these attitudes. So look at these with me, if you will, and again, measure your life by them. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. I know that you don't have perfect relationships, all right? In fact, I don't know anyone who does. I don't don't know a perfect marriage in our church. I don't know someone that has a perfect job with perfect coworkers. I don't know any students that have perfect roommates or perfect classmates or perfect professors. I just... it doesn't exist, right? And so, so these, these sinful desires, these desires of the flesh creep up, and we start comparing ourselves to others, and we want what they have. We're jealous. We're, we're envious. We compare ourselves with others. We find our identity not in who we are in Christ, but in who we are in comparison to someone else. And then that just really messes us up. That messes with our mind. It messes with our heart. And so Paul says, look at the way that you relate to one another. Are you operating out of love, out of kindness, out of gentleness, this, this fruit of the Spirit that we'll look at in a few moments. And then the final category, it gets into wild living, dr- living drunkenness and orgies. These are referring to drinking orgies. Paul's already covered sexuality in the first three terms. And so this, this just really talks about wild living, carousing, getting out and, and living a life that is totally contrary to the ways of God, out of control with Of one's life. And so Paul, don't miss this. Paul, at the end of verse, uh, first part of verse 21, he says, and things like these. So from that, we can conclude that pride is a work of the flesh. Laziness is a work of the flesh, Ingratitude is a work of the flesh, and on and on we could go. And what helps us so much from Galatians 5 is that most of the time, I think I grew up being conditioned to think that the way that I live my life for God was really about my behavior. If I did this, didn't do that, then I was cool with God, God was cool with me, and that was that. But God is not as much concerned about our behavior as what drives our behavior. He gets down to the level of our motivations and he wants our heart, our desires to be in line with his desires. And so what drives sin in our life is a failure to see God for who he is and to trust in his goodness man, that, that God, you're holding back something from me. That's why I'm going to engage in this act of sexual immorality or I'm going to be envious or I'm going to, to you know, um, uh, you, know you, you fill in the blank with these 15 terms, all right? Thank you. So what is, the, what is the big deal about all this? Well, in verse 21, Paul gives us this significant warning. What does he say? He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, Paul already talked about this that, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so you may be here this morning and, and you, you might say, you know what? I've never trusted in Christ as my Savior, I've never received the, the true gift of Christmas that He came to pay the penalty for my sin that separates me from God. And so if that's you this morning, you do not yet have the spirit, and there's probably not even much of a conflict in your heart because you're just kind of living life like you want to live it at this point. So what I want to do is plead with you to hear this warning that, that if you have not turned to God and asked forgiveness for your sin... You will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not go to heaven in place. In fact, you will spend eternity in a place called hell. But then many of us would read this verse, and you're filled with a little fear and trepidation because you know that even though you're in Christ, you still engage in these kind of behaviors and attitudes and desires. And so what are we to do with that? Well, number one, we're to repent and turn to God and draw near to God and seek purity in our life. But at the same time, I think how we can understand this is, is from the language of 1 John 3, where where John talks about those who practice such things, who, those who practice righteousness, those who practice sin. Does, does this characterize, does this list characterize your life, or is your life characterized by what we're gonna see, the fruit of the Spirit? So to walk by the Spirit is the the mechanism, it's the means by which we will not gratify these sinful desires in our life. Now, conversely, Paul's gonna say in verses 22 through 24, walk by the Spirit and bear fruit for God. So let me read these verses for us. Paul goes on and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so, again, we've talked about this a lot as a church, but sometimes we reduce the Christian life. We're reductionistic, right? We, we, We say, you know what? I can really live for God if I won't do this, won't do that, won't do this, won't do that. And we kind of stop right there. Like, that's the standard. But but if we are truly putting pride to death, putting impurity to death, putting envy to death, then what's going to happen is simultaneously we should be putting on humility, self-control, kindness. So it's, it's not enough just to put off if we're not putting on the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, can you imagine? Last night, we had a great time at the Christmas party. I already talked about it a little bit. And, and not only, you know, did we have a great time in the place was packed. Conversation was, you know, spread throughout the room. Uh, people humbled themselves. We had about eight people dress up as human Christmas trees. Okay, we have some pictures to prove it. All right, so you can, you know, hop on our Facebook page and and uh, check check that out. I know some some people AP three is a little upset about that. We have some some evidence of uh, that work, uh, but uh, but it was a great time. And and not only that, we had. A dessert, not just table, but tables filled up with all kinds of just awesome you know uh, desserts that that these wonderful chefs and and bakers had brought okay, so if, if that's you you know who you are but 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 let 's think about this. can you imagine if these wonderful chefs, these wonderful bakers in our church, we have several by the way okay i've I've been around for a while, I know you know what i'm saying so um can you can you imagine if um if they were, were in their kitchen, getting all their ingredients in the bowl, stirring it up, preparing it, and then after stirring it up, I said, you know what, man, we're good to go. I'm going to go, now that I've stirred it up, I'm going to go serve it up. I mean, I know some of y'all are like, yeah, you're being a wise guy or girl, you know, you're saying, oh yeah, I love that man, give me the spoon, you know, I'm going to go, but, but, but that's not the, the end goal, Right? you are going to take the bowl and bring it to the party and give everyone a spoon and say, you know, especially some dishes, and, and, and eat it up. You have to finish. You have to. It's, it's a picture of that which is incomplete. And in the same way, if all we do is focus on that, what God does not want us to do, then we are practicing an incomplete Christian life. God not only wants us to put off certain things, he wants us to put on the fruit of the Spirit. And so what we see about this, this fruit is notice it's singular, okay? So Paul doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit. And so what that tells us is two things. Number one, that this, all of this fruit should be pouring out of our life, okay? It's not like, hey, Tanner's got love down, but he gets a pass on kindness. Like if we're, if we're walking by the Spirit, then we're going to be producing the fruit of the Spirit. All is joy, peace, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But then also, notice it's, it's the Spirit's fruit, okay? So it's, it's not my fruit, it's not Henry's fruit, it's not Summer's fruit. It's, it's the Spirit's fruit, and that's a good thing because at the end of the day, that means that He gets the glory for the good things that He produces in us. Now, I love these verses because a couple of other things they teach us is this, and they're found in in the final phrase. After all of these, love, joy, peace, patience. It says, against such things. So once again, just like we saw with the works of the flesh, humility, wisdom, boldness, speaking words that build others up, all of this is fruit of the Spirit. And what does Paul say? Don't miss this. Against such things, there is no law. What does that mean, Paul? What it means is we can be as liberal as we want to be with love. There's no restriction on the amount of joy a Christian can experience, okay? God's not putting a lid on the amount of times that the peace that surpasses all understanding can come into your life, even in the midst of trial and suffering. There's no law. There's no restriction. There's no seatbelt on the fruit of the Spirit, And so don't be satisfied. What's an application? Don't be satisfied with just a little bit of grace and a little bit of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, but seek it in abundant measure. Paul goes on in verse 24. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the desires, the sinful desires of the flesh. And so what I love about this and how we can really tie this into this time of the year is that the spirit of of Christ, the spirit in us, produces Christ in us. So everything that Jesus came to bring is now available to us by his spirit, and now we can produce this in our lives. So how do we know what love is? But by looking at the love of God in Christ as displayed in his life, death, and resurrection, and now we are enabled, empowered to love God and love others in return. Jesus came to bring this, and now the Spirit applies it and produces it in us. Jesus is, Isaiah 9, 6, as the Prince of Peace, and so I know, man, life gets difficult and, and things happen and there's conflict and there's challenges and trials, but, but we can have the peace that Christ came and died and rose again to bring through the Spirit of God working in us. We can have joy. We can have, we can have humility. We can have self-control to say no to sin and say yes to God. All of this is ours through the work of Christ and through the Spirit of Christ. So what I want to do then to wrap up in verses 25 and 26 is just to give you one simple a final exhortation, and that is to walk by the Spirit and to live out the gospel. I really want to challenge you to memorize verse 25, okay? You can do it before we leave. In fact, perhaps you can do it right now. It simply says this, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Can you, can you say that with me? if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. It wasn't that hard. Let's do it again. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Okay, so what Paul is doing here is I think he's providing a statement that summarizes the book of Galatians and has the potential to really wrap up our whole Christian life. We establish that it is by the Spirit of God revealing who God is to us that we can have life in Him. So the only way that we can have a relationship with God and live our lives for God is by His Spirit giving us life. Now, how does that happen? By God's grace through faith in Christ. So this is how we enter into the Christian life. We looked at this in Galatians chapter 3 when John preached it about four or five or six weeks ago. Now, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So the conclusion here is that just as you enter the Christian life, so you continue in the Christian life by the Spirit. Just as you came to Christ by God's grace through faith, now you continue in the Christian life by God's grace through faith. And this, by the way, will keep you from a lot of weariness and frustration and discouragement in the Christian life. Because here's a heads up. If you try to live the Christian life in your own strength, you will ultimately fail and not be a very happy Christian. But if you depend on the Spirit, then you will have everything you need for life and godliness. The Bible is replete with verses that tell us this. John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we stay connected to Christ, the spirit of Christ, the this, this spirit will produce the fruit in us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Romans eleven thirty six, 36, it says what? For from him, he is the source. And and through him, he is the means of our life. This is how we do everything in our life is is through him. And to him, for his glory, are all things. I mean, just take that verse and live your life by it, and, and you will have a life that glorifies God. The gospel is not the ABCs, as Keller says. It's the A to Z. It's, it's everything, the grace of God, the spirit of God, bringing us to himself and then enabling us to live for him. So, the multi-million dollar question is how can we do this, Right? It's really good. It really makes sense. I know it experientially. I can see it truthfully in the Bible. But then how do we move from this place and walk by the Spirit? And what I want to show you is that Paul really doesn't give us a formula. I mean, I know we're kind of into that, you know. It's like really good to go to the bookstore. Hey, here are 10 steps to a successful marriage. These are, you know, seven and a half steps to, you know, successful, you know, um, auto mechanic repair. I don't know. You can make up your own little example. But, but, but Paul doesn't give us a step-by-step process. He just says walk. He just says if you belong to Christ, then put these things to death in your life. But, but I think from this passage and from some some other scripture, we can draw out at least three just practical steps that we can move from this place and seek to live a life that is enabled by the Spirit of God. Okay, so number one, pray for the Spirit to do His work in your life daily. Pray for the Spirit. Jesus teaches His disciples how to pray in Luke 11. And he gives them the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer. And then he talks about how a father gives good gifts to his children. And your heavenly father is even better than that. He not just gives you good gifts, but he gives the Holy Spirit. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So ask. Ask. I mean, let, let's be theologically precise. If, if you have been born again, the spirit dwells in you, okay? You have all the spirit that you will ever have. At the same time, the fullness of the spirit, the fullness of his work, that we can, we can limit the spirit's work and his fruitfulness in our life by pursuing the desires of the flesh. So, so we need to ask God to pour out his spirit in us, to, to, to fill us, to use us that we might live our lives for him. So pray, ask God, depend on the Spirit. Confess your need for God every single day and watch God work in you that which is pleasing to Him. Number two, fill your mind with God's Spirit inspired Word. Fill your mind with God's Spirit inspired Word. 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17 says this All scripture is breathed out by God, it's inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God might be complete, mature, equipped for every good work. So if you want to know what a life looks like controlled by the Spirit, you take the Spirit-inspired word, and you throw, John and I love to talk about logs of truth, okay? So we went on a couple elder retreats, all right, in New Hampshire, and there was a uh, wood-burning stove there, and so we had to go in, and we had to put wood in the stove to keep the cabin warm, and and I don't know about you, but I love a good fire, like a a good campfire, you know, and what you can see is that as those embers fall down, and, and, and the fire, gets really hot, those coals will turn white, right? So, so, so that, that, that white hot heat is emanating at those hottest points in the fire. And that happens as logs are thrown on there and keeps the fire hot. And this is what the word is like for us. We take a log of truth and put it into our mind. And then because we know God and his will for our life, then that, that truth, that, that rationality then is transferred to the heart And we are stirred in our affections to give God what some call white-hot worship back to him. But it always starts with God's truth. So if you want to walk by the Spirit, then fill your mind, fill your heart with the Spirit-inspired word. And then finally, number three, this is super practical, consistently evaluate whether you are displaying the Spirit's fruit. 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves To see whether you are in the faith. And so this is where it's not only important to look into the mirror of your own life like I've asked us to do this morning, but it's also important to be involved in a local church, to get into a small group, to have other people who can help you see things that you may not see at the present moment because we're all like that. Sin deceives us. We think we're okay, and really we have some, some specks or some logs that we need to take care of that are sticking out of our eyes, Jesus would say. And so if we would pray and seek to depend on the Spirit and fill our mind with God's Spirit-inspired truth and, and constantly evaluate whether or not this, this fruit is being produced in our life, these are ways that we can walk by the Spirit of God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite Micah and the and the team to come on up. And after I pray, what we're going to do is they're going to lead us in a song that really captures this first step, okay, to, to pray that God's spirit would work in us daily. It's just a, a song of confession that simply says, Lord, I need you. It's the spirit of the Lord that now dwells in us, who, who wants to reign in our lives. And so after I pray, what we're going to do is sing a song, and this song is, is going to be a prayer to God that can rise up to him and say, God, you work in us so that this Christmas season we might reflect the Christ of Christmas through the spirit of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word that teaches us, that transforms us. And God, thank you for not leaving us to ourselves, but sending your spirit to change us, to make us more like Jesus. So God, I want us to be a church. and I know all of us desire for us to be a church that, that really magnifies your name. And the only way we can possibly do that is by your spirit. So Lord, I pray that we would just cry out to you, confess our need, and that as we seek your, your, your empowerment, through your word and through community and through prayer that, Lord, this would be the richest Christmas we've ever experienced because we're experiencing you in the richest way. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.